0: Welcome to Syntalk. The Syntalkers around the table today discuss the power, ecology, knowledge access. We think about the power, ecology, and knowledge triad with some emphasis on ecology concepts are likely to be from Nietzsche, Deleuze, Gandhi, and a few others. We try to understand the implications of hierarchical organization of knowledge in our society. Is there a possibility of a radical ecological democracy? What is the relationship between ethology and ecology? And how does the transformation matrix work between knowledge and power as they create each other? We are pleased and privileged to have three talkers around the table today. Professor Sashij Hegde from Department of Sociology in University of Hyderabad. He is a thinking sociologist. Ashish Kothari, who is the founder of Kalpavrikshan Pune. He is an ecological activist in search of alternatives. And Sunil Sasthubade, who is a knowledge activist engaged in building a new knowledge movement for lokavidya, for a new political imagination, he is the founder of Vidya Ashram in Varanasi. Ashish, maybe we set the ball rolling with you. Um, to understand conceptually what ecology is and when we speak of an ecological crisis anywhere in the world exactly what we refer to in a very broad sense maybe we get a grip on that and we'll take it off from there
1: well very broadly speaking ecology is everything around us it's what we live in it's the world that we live in yeah the natural elements the uh, you know the rocks the life around us everything mm-hmm. and the interconnections between that and i think the, the i mean Part of the crisis right now is that we seem we seem to be in an artificial bubble where we think we're actually isolated from the rest of uh, nature. Mm-hmm. We even talk like humans and nature, whereas actually it should be humans and the rest of nature. Right. And this we artificial... We've
0: separated ourselves when man is actually a part of nature.
1: Yeah, uh, human beings. Uh, sure. Don't like using the word man. Human beings. But yeah, yes. human <laughs> beings have separated ourselves. In an, in We think we've separated ourselves, but of mm-hmm. course we are constantly subjected to the pulls and pressures and pushes of the rest of nature. And we see and that you, right now, for instance. do you, you instance,
0: distinguish which, between ecology and nature or they are interchangeably the same, more or less? Well, I mean, ecology is the study of.
1: So, yeah. I mean, right. it's right. just an ety- etymological sure. thing. But, of course, it's used as a short form for, as I said, everything around us. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it also includes uh, social relationships. It includes political relationships. It's not just a thing of, you know, tigers and trees and so on. Of course. Mm. But it is this artificial separation which is crucial. And I think also that it's a separation that is very deeply political. It's actually okay. about the political, the relationships amongst people, right. which has brought us to this kind of very artificial bubble uh, existence. And mm-hmm. it's it's bound to break at some point or the other. We're already seeing that with the kind of crisis with climate, with uh, you know how people's lives are being wrecked by uh, destruction of nature.
0: Right, right, right. And, you know, when one uses buzzwords uh, sometimes and pretty accurate words at times like biodiversity, what what exactly is that? And, because, you know, nature is what it is. And uh, it, it, it does somehow seem to suggest a certain kind of arrogance to... Um, suggest that we as human beings can make biodiversity happen or is it just a question of us stepping away and letting nature be the way it is?
1: Well again the crucial thing is that human beings are part of the nature. rest of you know they're part right. of nature so right. when we say biodiversity we include human beings but right. we also include another 50 million species of course <laughs> and that's crucial <laughs> to remember that we are actually only one out of 50 million or maybe even more than that and these are floral species. and fauna species yeah, just yeah, plants, yeah. The plants animals and animals both right. but we also create biodiversity if you look at for instance Indian farmers so called illiterate Indian farmers have have created a hundred thousand or maybe up to three hundred thousand varieties of rice. Wow! That's also that's genetic diversity, which is part of biodiversity. Right. So it is this interrelationship that's crucial. You know, it's not out there. Right. It's actually we're in it, and it's in us. Right.
0: Right. 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 Terrific. That's very interesting, Sunil. How would you think about that? And we know we we um, Ashish mentioned the word farmer, and you know in 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 your Lokavidya movement, I mean there are different members of it in some form or fashion. Do you sense some kind of a crisis there? I mean, is, is a regular peasant uh, looking at nature in a way which is different or at odds with the broader conception of nature at this moment in time?
2: That would, of course, be the case. Uh, I mean, we will need to talk to the peasant to know how exactly he thinks about it. Yeah. Because, Because, <laughs> no, importantly, because... You know, we have been trained in a method of thinking in which, if you ask about soil, we will talk about it like any, maybe not so correctly, but we will talk in the same vein as an agricultural scientist or a chemistry person. That's right. Mm, About the what constituents, what all constitute this soil? Silicates are there and. Calcium is there and this, right. that, their relative <laughs> amounts and so on to right. describe soil.
0: Right.
2: If you ask a peasant what is about any soil, what is soil then it is peasant? on record. I mean, there are many writings of Britishers and others from here uh-huh. about how a peasant would respond about the soil quality or or what is soil, what is this soil. So what is soil? He do not peasant? describe it through its constituents, okay. but about many more things which in modern science are seen as extrinsic to the properties of soil, what like what kinds of plants can be grown on this, okay. whether medicinal p- plants can be grown on such soil, right. whether this soil can be used for this, that and the other. Right. Like these all will constitute part of the description of the soil.
0: Right. So they,
2: it's a it's a totally different worldview as if.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, mm.
2: But coming directly if I, to the... If I
0: can just yeah, quickly
1: sorry. add, women farmers in Andhra Pradesh... Right. They classify male soil and female soil. Wow. Yeah. No scientist will do that. But they have a very deep understanding of why they do that. Because they uh-huh. say that the male soils are the ones which are for the commercial crops, which the men handle because they handle the market. Right. Whereas <laughs> whereas the female soils are the ones that we are actually handling, which is what's crucial for our own subsistence, our families, our livestock, our children. It doesn't
0: cetera. have anything to do with fertility of the soil. No, it's to do with what's being... So, yeah. work, Sorry. I mean, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Sure.
2: yeah. Yeah, but one one more point with respect to the ecological, uh, I mean, uh, ecology that he has introduced, yeah, is I would like to bring in this uh, question of power about right. about uh, I mean, ecology has become important uh, mm-hmm. uh, to our understand. This is the lay understanding right. in so far so far as ecology is concerned. Right, uh, uh, has become more and more important, maybe through mid nineteenth century, mid nineteenth or even before, maybe I don't know. Right, uh, more and more as Destruction of nature is let loose through uh-huh. the industrial revolution and uh-huh. after uh-huh. the uh-huh. new industry and the new technology. Now uh-huh. this has this has a concept of power embedded in this. Okay. Power, as defined by the scientist or a physicist, is work done per unit time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so a lot
2: of work done. In very small amounts of time, right. W over T, work done per unit time, of course. becomes very large <laughs> mm. as times become small and work done becomes large. Mm. And this is power. Right, And right. all modern industry is power industry. In fact, right. this is how you distinguish traditional industry from modern. This is the distinguishing, defining characteristic In fact, of power. you measure it
0: on productivity uh, and that's
2: the whole uh, Not productivity. Mm-hmm. Not productivity. Productivity is part of that. That is one aspect of the power involvement. It's right. one aspect. But when you use a lot of power, you necessarily depart from far, further and further away from the natural processes, right. which occur at the ambient, close to reversible, close to equilibrium conditions, not drifting very far away from them. Right. Larger the power used... More you depart from equilibrium conditions, more you depart from from the ambient, from from natural processes.
0: That's very interesting.
2: Greater waste is created and greater damage is done to whatever is understood by nature. So power in its essential meaning Mm -hmm. in the modern world... Is
0: some kind of a deviation from equilibrium.
2: Uh, leads to, leads yeah, to this is one way to understand, but this would be a difficult path because you will need some kind of background to understand what is equilibrium and what is natural. What is to what is natural? What is stable? Sure. To, to what is natural? To to right. what right. is natural is close to equilibrium if we want to use that term. Sure, that's and, very. And the, the shifts take place very slowly. Sure, But sure. this is sure. this is the quick path that they discovered. Sure, involves sure. power. Sure, sure. And and mon science. Which is, well, both the father and the son of this industry is, yeah, I mean, both the cause and the effect as, you, as it is described, um, is a great legitimizer of this process. Right. The paradigms of modern science are integrally connected with this destruction of nature. I mean, we are in a, I don't know what term to use, we are in a very, very trapped situation.
0: Right, right, right. Right. I mean That's very I think, interesting yeah. Sashij, I think you know we've used a few amazing concepts like power and uh, introduced the fact that there's a political angle to the way one thinks about ecology and what the cause and effect is how would you respond to that uh, and no, you know, I, I think what do some the, of these uh, words mean to you and what's your take No
3: actu- it? Uh, I, particularly striking in, in the kind of uh, uh, Perspectives that have been outlined is, yeah. is that it, that somewhere the question of ecology also implicates the question of values or right. what one might call the nature and manner of valuing itself right. And, right. Uh, and 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 uh, the point that was being made essentially that that human beings as part of nature uh, implicates uh, a, a new way of valuing itself uh, rather than thinking about human beings and nature but human beings as part of nature so the the whole question of ecology, uh-huh. uh, for me implicates uh, this whole axis of the nature and manner of valuing. So who
0: creates and how does those how do those conditions get created for valuation as he call them? No,
3: some of it some of it could be some of it could be coming as part of a natural scheme of things, okay. but some some of it also could come as a a fact of 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 of. Uh, of human intervention, so to say, right? right? I mean, one of the things that, uh, at least from within social theory, that uh-huh. has been formulated, uh-huh. is that uh, that human beings, what marks out human beings, uh-huh. is not just the capacity to reproduce their means of subsistence, right? Uh, but also to go uh, to generate surplus in right. in the context of this production. So what right. what what initially comes out as a certain transaction with nature, as part of nature, becomes uh, a a whole mode of uh, reproducibility which kind of pits uh, human beings uh, against nature. So, human beings uh, begin to be torn apart from nature or begin to embed a certain conflictual relationship. Uh, In fact, uh, fact, somewhere along the way, uh, Uh uh, uh, I think it's important that we break down all the complexities. What constitutes us is demography ecology and 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 uh, you know geography demography right. geography and, and ecology, ecology. ecology i mean That's right. in, in fact geography can encapsulate the notion of ecology as well right. so population and, and demography but then uh, what complicates that whole relationship between pop between demography and geography as it were is uh, a lot of historical contrivances that get to be made in managing this whole relationship between population and geography, right. and uh, the whole. So, Shashij,
0: what what is power to you? Um, and I, when we think of this in this uh, triadic yeah, sense of uh, three uh, coming together, no, no, what in would that in mean in,
3: to you? in sociological terms, power is often seen as the fact of behavior determination, right? Okay. So, A as power over B, when right. B uh you know does something which b is uh, which a wants b to do right. so there is but i think uh there is more to power than just uh, this fact of behavior determination uh-huh. and and somewhere along the way the diffuse axis on which uh power operates is something that one needs to think a little more systematically with uh, in fact i would uh, think about a whole ecology of practices, as right. it were, which implicates uh, whole dynamics of power, which goes beyond merely this fact of behavior uh, determination and, and and so on. I think the, uh, what I find particularly interesting is that, uh, you know, in a social theory milieu where a certain power n- knowledge nexus uh-huh. uh, is already established and recognized, uh, ecology, the, the fact that we are bringing it in, uh, in a sense, brings uh, a whole new question onto this power knowledge axis that right, uh, is right, uh, that is right. coming across in our times, and right. that for me has to do with what one uh, what uh, all the anchoring remarks also had to do with the nature and manner of valuing, as it were.
0: Right, right. And is there some kind of a will to power at work, so to speak, within courts? Is is it is it just? Uh, I mean is it just a sentimental take on the whole thing or is it just nature at work no I think there there is
3: there there could well be a certain will to power that comes uh, out of uh, say modernity modernity or or modern systems of knowledge can be seen as encoding a will to power which is fundamentally different from say uh, a certain will to power that you might think about with reference to more non-modern forms right I mean, I'm, 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 right uh, okay and, and, so,
0: and in this context modern being uh, the the industrial revolution led tools and ideologies and uh, ideas as yes as one was pointing out yes right.
3: uh, that's one axis on which we can think about yeah. uh, modernity with with reference to uh, the the industrial revolution and 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 so on right uh, right, uh, right. Uh, uh, so I, I i i think it One is not definitely arguing that a certain will to power doesn't underwrite uh, uh, both natural and human forms, right? right. Uh, uh, But 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 then uh, I think there is a a difference in the nature and manner in which that will to power gets to be articulated, uh, which comes out of certain specific historical. Uh, transitions and so on. So modernity or the modern industrial revolution uh-huh. could be seen uh-huh. as epitomizing one kind of a shift, uh, which is very different from the kind of shifts that were known prior to the modern industrial scientific revolutions and so on.
1: Right,
0: right, right. Ashish, maybe we jump to you. Can and I uh, just so on please. this
1: issue of uh, will to power and valuation? I think which Ashish has very rightly put. Just a uh, added thing there if you look at and, and going back also to the issue of soils, no? yeah, yeah, if you look at how traditional societies have viewed the rest of nature, uh-huh. mostly, it has not been in terms of we own nature,
0: uh-huh.
1: but that we are custodians or right. that we are guests or right. that we are a part of. Right. right? Uh, and so, therefore, Mother Nature, Mother Earth, you know, those those sorts of things that so come it's in. It's
0: not a property right It's not angle. a property uh, relationship yeah, it, at all. Right.
1: right. And, this also then leads to the whole issue of values which Rasheed was talking about because that means that we're actually valuing the rest of nature uh-huh. in a much more holistic sense. It's, It is... Uh, useful to us for uh-huh. our own livelihoods and survival and so on and so forth. But it's also useful in itself. It has its own inherent values.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It has value for us. Uh-huh. Whereas if you look at uh, modern industrial society, it's actually nature is valuable only insofar as it is useful to us. So nature has become natural resource. It's become way. natural resource. It's become <laughs> something to own. It's become right. property, Right. Uh, private property as far as possible. And but that also maybe, then, yeah. sorry, just one last point. Sure. That also then leads to the issue of productivity, which uh, Sunilji was talking about, and yeah. you had asked about productivity. Yeah, that you know the way of a traditional farmer would look at a farm in terms of productivity.
0: Yeah,
1: is not just the amount of grain or the amount of uh, rice or whatever that's coming out of it, but. As a whole what is that farm contributing to his or her and their family's livelihoods yeah and also the relationship of the soil in that which is a relationship of sacredness yeah with oneself right yeah. so productivity is seen very differently from a green revolution modern standpoint where it, it's it, only it's the food a, grain it's very or it's only the milk uh, from right. the cow <laughs> or it, it's a single very singular kind of vision which ignores everything else and creates huge amounts of problems. Right.
0: Uh, for instance,
1: right. if you take uh, modern uh, chemical-based rice farming, yeah. it might increase your rice productivity, yeah. but it destroys everything else in the farm. Correct. So what Destroying the farmer soil, may have been getting, yeah, the soil, the salad, may have been whatever, getting correct. fish or crabs or all kinds of correct. other things. There was wildlife living there. That's all destroyed. And yes, your food grain output goes, uh, goes up, up. <laughs> but then people don't live only by food grains. Correct. They live by a whole lot of other things, right? Correct. So, so, Correct. so all of this valuing, productivity, uh, and um, power—you know—power uh, so over, what, that all gets connected there.
0: It's beautiful, sir. Ashish, what is the relationship of a of a traditional farmer within codes uh, to soil? Do they do they own soil? So, not at all. They not are not at all. Let me give you yeah. a simple example,
1: which yeah. you. Uh, yeah when farmers in uh, Raigad district in Maharashtra were asked whether they want to give their lands over to Reliance for a special economic zone yeah they had a very simple thing to say they asked reliance would you sell your mother <laughs> land is our mother right we're not willing to sell it right now It right. doesn't mean all farmers will be like that some do get tempted and do sell but i'm sure. just saying that sure. here's a, sure. a viewpoint which is still very powerful was very powerful in the past it's still very powerful and it defines a relationship with the land and the soil which is at once a emotional a sacred and a utilitarian it's a combination of all of these yeah. It's not any one of these things so that's yeah. the relationship
0: yeah yeah, yeah, and but and how? the same
1: with an Adivasi with the forest or a fa, or a fishing community with its river. You know, it's the same.
0: Right, right, right. And and Sunil, maybe this is a good point to think about knowledge systems in general. And at some level, is this just a clash of different kind of knowledge systems? Is it just, uh, or is is someone just being evil in a very explicit kind of way? Or is it just uh, different knowledge systems at work?
2: At one level, it is surely a clash of uh, different. Types of knowledge systems, uh-huh. but there is a slight asymmetry here. Mm. On one side is a knowledge system. On another side, on the other side, there is no knowledge system as such. Okay, because we we are uh, we are most familiar with as a knowledge system. We are familiar with modern science. Yeah. I mean, there are other systems of knowledge, but our familiarity is much more with That's modern right. science. Let us say, which includes social science and everything. Right. all that is taught in. The modern school, modern school, or all, all that is taught in today's schools, right. is uh, kind of paradigmed on uh, the paradigm of modern science. Right. So we, we are familiar right. with this knowledge system.
3: Uh-huh. On
2: the other side, the knowledge of the present or an Adivasi or uh, or, a, or an ordinary woman, everywhere, uh, is not a knowledge system okay. as such. This okay. is what uh, we have called Lokavidya. Vidya.
0: It's very mm, tacit. That,
2: uh, uh, no, it's not tacit. It's, it's, not an, tacit it's very, stuff. very explicit. Okay. It's very, very explicit. Okay. It becomes tacit uh, for the scientist
0: right. because <laughs> his
2: argument form, the argument form that the woman deploys, right. is different from the argument form that the scientist deploys. That's very interesting. So, what she says is not easily understood.
0: Right. So right. he
2: sees the the scientist or the external agent sees that in some kind of a hidden location yeah. and therefore implicit knowledge yeah. it's not at all implicit knowledge yeah it is very explicit knowledge yeah. but it is in an open system
0: right it
2: doesn't belong to a walled university
0: yeah
2: <laughs> it doesn't belong to a network system protected by passwords and so on, right. and various other <laughs> encoding mechanisms. I mean, passwords is a very layman term, sure. very, all kinds of encoding. They, they are the walls of knowledge systems, we, walls that those who command those knowledge systems do not wa- want others to kind of come from their side to this side without their permission.
0: But are there hierarchies outside of the so-called modern science system as well?
2: No, there are uh, hierarchies. There uh-huh. are hierarchies. Yeah, uh, but those hierarchies are not uh, are in a sense shadow of the hierarchies of the of the modern knowledge systems right like even the even other kinds of in today's world what does that mean? we're not comparing with something that was happening thousand years ago that would there would be a problem let's not project back anything sure in sure hmm. sure
0: these
2: are these these are shadows of this like projections of uh, these hierarchies okay for, for example the political system is very clear the 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 hierarchies all start from the top from okay. the center and spread towards the periphery right. and then finally create those hierarchies in the panchayat also
0: right the traditional
2: right. village panchayat perhaps did not know the kind of hierarchies that the modern village panchayat <laughs> uh, suffers from <laughs> right. yeah but this is this is not a problem with uh, the panchayat in in the sense that it is a problem with the entire political system whose command lies outside the panchayat Right. You see so right. the, the command is what creates and recreates produces and reproduces these hierarchies yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So so there are uh, those who are doing it and there are those who are victims of it. I mean it's not as if uh, uh, people are uh, people are all correct. I'm not suggesting that. Sure, uh, sure, uh, not sure, at sure, all. Sure, sure. But but there is a mechanism of correcting in the process and so on. They don't need an external corrector.
0: Shashri, how would you rea- react to that and respond to no, that? No, I, I think the poser that you made
3: is is, yeah, is about hierarchy centered. Yeah, yes, and I, yes. Yeah. I, I think that poser that you said yeah. that, uh, about hierarchy out—aren't uh, there hierarchies outside modern systems of knowledge? I think that's a uh, right. that's a uh, and that's an effective poser.
0: Uh-huh.
3: But I think what uh, what one is trying to highlight uh, here in uh-huh. the course of this conversation is about how um, a certain manner of validation within modern systems of knowledge operates right, right? so one is not necessarily pitting uh, uh, not necessarily pitting modern systems of validation against say other forms of, of validation right okay? but I think one is trying to force attention upon the the nature and process of validation within modern systems of knowledge. Right? Uh, so, so it's... it's it's. So, the barometer
0: stays the same. Is Sorry? that your point? Is that the barometer stays the same? The
3: way we measure things? No, no. I think modern systems of knowledge and the processes of validation that they recognize yeah. are, are built on certain kinds of ...coordinates and principles which some of uh, our conversation has uh, kind Allured of moved, m- right, uh, right. moved around. Right. Right? Uh, so there is... That's why I, I'm, I'm, one is not definitely uh, discounting the fact of hierarchies existing... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, ...outside of modern systems of knowledge as well. Right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think the, the positionality and the nature of validation... ...that uh, non-modern hierarchies encapsulate... Uh-huh. Uh, is 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 uh you know offered uh, as something very different now i i think we uh, we alluded to this uh, idea of property etc yeah. i mean and i i, I in fact uh, it, within more non modern forms of uh, of 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 ownership uh-huh. uh, there is often an, a concept of owing as well so you owing own, while owning owning and owing are wow. part of the same uh, matrix uh, of 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 uh, owning something. That's right. Beautiful. Owning yeah. uh, exists with owing. owing. Uh, right. And, and so Right. On. Now I'm not so sure modern systems of knowledge uh, operate within a matrix uh, where you know uh, yeah. o- owning and uh, owing is, uh, go together. Uh, o- o- go go <laughs> together. <laughs> that's very
0: interesting. That's very so interesting. So I, I, that's why
3: I'm, I I I. I I think, I think at one level, of course, one can implicate a certain imperialism to modern systems of knowledge. Yeah. I, think, I think, I'm not sure sure we are straddling that course. And, and it's a, a rightly trying to ward off, again, just the imperialism of modern systems of knowledge and categories. Right. I think one is forcing attention uh-huh. upon the very nature and manner of validation within systems of knowledge. And Got perhaps it. as part of that, striking a broad contrast for facilitative purposes between, say, uh, uh, modern forms uh, of knowledge and the nature of validation that takes place within them, Uh and perhaps, say, non-modern forms of validation, and so on.
0: Right, 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 right. That's very interesting. And so, uh, uh, Ashish, maybe we go to you, and uh, what would some alternate conceptions be uh, of how we organize ourselves and our relationship with nature? And is Is it just a question of attaining a certain kind of mindset shift and that does it? I mean, and what are the paths to sustainability? How rapid or slow is that likely to be? Or are we already set on a path which is kind of irreversible? What's your take on that?
1: Uh, um, How many hours do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, uh, yeah, I think well one is that we at the moment we're certainly on a path of unsustainability and growing inequality and conflict and so on. There's no there's every all the evidence suggests that. I mean uh, okay. globally as well as as in India. Okay. Uh, we're already crossed 3 of the 7 ecological planetary limits that we have, you know biodiversity, climate etc and we're on course to cross all the others and, which and makes so, it irreversible. Uh, right because there's no right. way in which the earth despite all its regenerative powers can actually reverse once we cross a certain threshold of, of limits it's already happened with climate for instance right okay uh, so uh, we are clearly on that path we are also very clearly on the path of growing inequality that's very all the recent evidence suggests that even mainstream economists are now admitting that uh, the world is growing more and more in terms unequal. of in, uh, yeah more and more unequal yeah. and that that is a recipe for very serious conflict yeah in one way or the other which again we begin to see yeah so this is clear what i think is also happening is that there are counter trends and okay. it is these counter trends that we need to focus on if we really want to get out of this mess yeah And these counter trends are both very practical, where there are thousands of literally thousands of places, even just in India and across the world, there'll be many, many more, where people are actually showing that you can meet basic human needs and aspirations through ecologically sustainable means and through means which actually reach every person rather than being cornered by a few. Maybe we link it to the
0: concept of surplus that Shashij touched upon a while ago. In in a world view
1: and a world of this
0: nature, what happens? Do we just live year to year? Or? No, no, no.
1: I mean, people are creating surplus, but that surplus is not being cornered by a, a small minority. Okay. If you're talking about revenue surplus, but these surpluses are of all kinds, you know, the surpluses right. are also for knowledge. The surpluses are of materials, of all kinds, so not yeah. just finance. It could be cognitive
0: surplus, uh, yeah, material surplus. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Right. And that, that's Correct. how
1: we grow as a society, right? That's so right. growing as a society is very different from growing financ- continuing to grow financially and materially, which is physically impossible in a ecologically limited world. So the idea of surplus and how do you use it yeah. is what's crucial. It's not about not having surplus. It's about whether surplus becomes profit, yeah. which then is cornered by a few, which, yeah. is, which is the problem yeah. right now. Yeah. But the, to go back to the issue of sustainability, so there are all these things happening, but I think what's, cru- what's coming out really crucially in these sorts of initiatives across the world is three or four quick things which I'll lay out very yeah. quickly. Yeah. One, the notion of political power. So these successful alternative initiatives are only happening where people are taking power back in their hands. Okay, They're not saying that it's the elected government which will dictate everything, but at least in our day-to-day lives, we are the ones who are. To give you a simple quote from a village in central India, in Delhi and Bombay is our government, in our village, we are the government. <laughs> it's a notion of direct democracy, Right, yes. right. Yeah, so and how
0: that? how anarchist is that? Is that absolute decenteredness? Is it? It's or, not. Or is it just a microcosm of what is supposed to be happening at a much larger scale? Is is it just decentralization, or is completely decentered? You, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No. So it's how actually, anarchist is it? It's it's it's. I would say it's more communitarian than anarchist. Okay. I don't mean communist, but communitarian, sure, as sure, in the saying sure. that. At that level of a community where you can take face-to-face decisions, whether in a city or in a village or yeah. a cluster of villages, yeah. decisions will be taken there, right? In by consensus, if possible, or at least everybody's there uh, and has the ability so to. So the smallest,
0: beautiful kind of conception of uh, yeah. But then, local building areas. on the
1: building on that is the notion, therefore, that you also need what Gandhi had called circles, uh, oceanic circles, yeah. of decision making. So it's yeah. Building on that local unit, you actually have larger and larger levels of uh, decision-making, which is the opposite of today. The top-down dis-
0: versus bottoms exactly conflict, Exactly, So, Correct. the
1: signals are coming from, from the yeah. bottom. And it's the bottom people, I mean, the people there who know what their issues are, what their problems Correct. are, and how they need Correct. to make. Correct. So, that's the power. The okay. second crucial thing is um, uh, economics. Okay. I mean, I think we haven't mentioned this here, but really <laughs> one of the biggest academic uh, problematic academics has been economics. Yeah, in yeah. the last couple yeah. of centuries, because <laughs> economics seems to have given us the uh, sense that we can be outside of nature, right? And that if we're having any impacts on nature, these can all be
0: their externalities. Their externalities, exactly, Correct. exactly, Correct. right?
1: Correct. So, whereas what these initiatives are saying is that economics is part of ecology. Yeah. And therefore yeah. the economic activities that we do in our day-to-day lives and where relationship with us, each other, and with nature have to be part of an ecological system. They have to respect ecological limits. So the right. economics actually is completely upturned. Right. And it's democratic economics. It's right. where the means of production are owned by the producers, yeah. not by some capitalist sitting somewhere or not by the state also. Yeah. Uh, so that's the second crucial thing, economic democracy. And third, and I'll, fi- I'll finish there, is cultural and knowledge uh, diversity. Because the other big thing that's happened with uh, modern industrial growth is homogenization. Okay, yeah. we're all supposed to be drinking Coca Cola, and we're all supposed to be wearing <laughs> three-piece uh, suits.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm I'm caricaturing a bit, but that's sure. Whereas sure, sure. what and the impact of that, India alone has lost about four hundred languages in the last few decades. Yeah. Uh, the worldwide, the greatest loss actually is of languages, yeah. even more than biological diversity. Yeah. And with every knowledge lost, we're losing knowledge. Uh, with every language lost, we're losing knowledge. Yeah. So cultural diversity, yeah, and knowledge diversity, what Sunilji was talking about, yeah. is another really crucial component. Yeah. These, uh, these search for solutions. yeah, And of so we can try tie all this up into what we've called radical ecological democracy, which is to essentially say that people actually are at the core of decision making, that decision making is ecologically sensitive, and it is socially sensitive. So the issue of social justice also comes in.
0: But Ashish, let me yeah. ask you that in a world conceived that way, it's kind of easy to visualize how we eat the food we eat, but how do we fly planes? How do we go from one place to another?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think the you know what I mean? very serious questions will have to be asked by society to itself saying what activities can and cannot be sustained. Right. So if you and I want to fly around and I do fly around, and I know, yeah. I think it's hypocritical of me, but I do. Sure. Um, <laughs> then we have to be aware. No, but we have to then be aware of what is its impact on somebody somewhere else. Yeah. And if the whole world wants to fly around, is yeah. it sustainable? And if it's not, then we need to start asking ourselves, how much mobility am I justified in having? yeah with regard yeah. to let's say just flying yeah. but the same thing with everything how much energy am i justified in consuming yeah how much water am i justified in consuming etc i think these are all things uh which we will have to start asking ourselves and, and society needs to ask these and questions. are there
0: boundaries around aspects that can be produced in a bottoms up kind of way and other are are there utilities and aspects and economic uh, action that can be done in a more top-down kind of way um Like, where is power supposed to come from? Where is. um, Power as in electrical power? Electrical power.
1: No, but I mean, you can have decentralized sources of power all across. There's absolutely no need for having centralized uh, things unless you want centralized production processes, much of which we may not even need, right? So, you can actually have decentralized sources of power. But that doesn't mean that you won't have some central. I mean, for instance, railways has to be. If suppose the railways have to be run, you need some central systems. Correct. Correct. So one is not denying the need for that, but one yeah. is saying that even that actually is subject to deep democracy. Yeah. How the railways are run, you know, etc. So, for instance, the railways may not therefore have first-class AC bogies at all, because if it's deep democracy, they might say, well, everybody can travel in the same way. Yeah. Why should somebody pe- some people have uh, fancy luxury and others travel uh, so-called cattle class? So, so it's it's those changes. and These are very hard to imagine, but I think over the next couple of generations, we will see these kind of changes beginning to take place. People asking these questions and making these changes because...
0: Is it happening? Is it already happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Across the world, you find people are actually getting up and saying that we're not going to take uh, top-down decision-making anymore. You can see that even in, in uh, you know uh, authoritarian regimes, you know, Central Asia, South America, you actually see people's movements coming up and saying, no, we want a voice. Ashish,
0: mm-hmm. what is your response to that? How I mean, what, no, how, how does a no, no, sociologist I, I, think about
3: something like no, that? No, no, I, 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 I think what Ashish was laying out the the three prerequisites or conditionalities that he was positing about, you know, political power being back to the people, yeah. uh, direct democracy, uh, economics being fused with ecology, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, you know, correct, cultural correct. Non- diversity. Uh, I and and i think as a sociologist or the uh, i i think the question becomes how to thematize some of these these counter trends that are happening right uh, all right. around so how right. to uh, how to kind of uh, uh, i mean and in fact underlying quite a lot of all these counter trends is uh-huh. uh, i for me a, a crucial concept of of what one might call and it's a concept which underwrites a lot of nature uh-huh. What one might call symbiosis, right? right? So, right, so right. I mean, how do how do we begin to th- thematize uh, a certain uh, this symbiosis that underwrites uh, these transitions or these articulations of dem- direct democracy that are available to us? Yeah. This fusion of ecology with economics that is also available to us. Yeah. The the growing recognition that with with shrinking diversity, we also lose out on other possibilities of knowledge uh, creation and so on. Okay, so, uh, and I think somewhere uh, the role of, I mean, I think it's important to thematize uh, 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 the role of symbiosis in uh, in, uh, both the practice of knowledge and in social life, right? And I think this symbiosis happens many times, uh, part could could be because of strategic decisions that conscientious individuals and groups begin to take uh-huh. or it could also be perhaps the sheer sus- unsustainability of certain things uh, that might foster so so right. so right. some of the symbiosis could be partly out of uh, direct will to uh, to to transform a certain given nature of of existence uh-huh. it, sometimes it also would be necessitated by the fact that we cannot continue to sustain uh, ourselves in, in 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 those so somewhere along the way i think uh, it's important for us to thematize and i i quite like the way ashish was actually pointing out about you know at the realm of of politics of of economics uh, of culture and knowledge uh, there are certain trends and I think the larger mandate uh, for a lot of uh, theory and social science would actually be to begin to systemat to kind of thematize uh, some of this and I think one underwriting concept uh, would be uh, a certain symbiosis that underwrites many of these counter trends that sure. is there yeah.
0: yes no?
2: yeah I want to come in on this uh, the three points that Ashish has made are surely very well taken. Yeah, hmm. One would go along all the way with those points yeah. and also the interpretation of uh, uh, Correct. Uh, But one, one more thing that I want to draw attention to in this context is that, uh, uh, that the, the logic of science uh-huh. and society uh-huh. are not separable. At any point of time, a logic of knowledge, this is logic of knowledge and logic of being. Uh Being cannot be paradigm differently from the paradigms of dominant knowledge.
0: That's very interesting. So,
2: unless dominant knowledge patterns come down Uh and a larger take comes into existence Uh in the sphere of knowledge, these changes are not uh, achievable. Uh, I will go a step further in, in use a more concrete uh, language than and this you abstract. Say achievable,
0: suddenly I mean, they... sure. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll, yeah. uh, like science and democracy. Okay. You see, science and democracy have come into existence by and large together. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> there is not sure. exactly together in that sense, but it is. These are the makings of a certain age. Yes. Right. Yes. This is. Uh, democracy is the political being of this society and science (laughs) is the knowledge of this society. And it's not the knowledge of this society, it is the command knowledge pattern of this society. The command of the world of knowledge lies with science and the command of the world of politics or social being lies in democracy. Democracy. Yeah. Yeah, The command lies there. It, yeah. It's not It's not there everywhere. I mean, it may be there in very, very small parts, as a matter of fact, but the command lies there. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. So, yeah.
2: if if we're going to question, for example, if we see this, and not everybody does, and many people may not, that uh, science is somewhere integrally connected with the damage of nature, and ecology must raise those questions in order and... By now, perhaps, one realizes it's not only to correct correct science, uh-huh. but to produce new streams of knowledge or to uh, create an atmosphere for the acceptability of new streams of knowledge. Right. Legitimization. Right. Legitimization of different streams of knowledge whose uh, whose validation patterns could be very different. If that be the case... Democracy would be an unfortunate word to use. <laughs> you, it, will, it will entrap us again and again. And uh, it, will, it, will, it will produce all kinds of uh, traps. Uh, like uh, if I suggest we cannot, uh, science cannot be changed to the extent that it becomes knowledge of an ordinary woman in a village. Yes. It is her knowledge which must be legitimized in a certain way. Right. Right. That right. alone can give initiative to her and a yeah. new society. Yeah. Similarly, democracy cannot become the way of life of our society if we use the term Swaraj. And Swaraj is not Gandhiji's term, Swaraj is an Indian term.
0: Correct.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we are like, uh, if there are not too many, we don't read texts, and we don't, we don't, we are not great. Uh, we don't have great knowledge of history and so on. Yeah. Or that is not the path most people come by yeah. in their understanding. Yeah. So Gandhi ji becomes a reference. We understand the ideas of Swaraj, what Swaraj means, what it may mean, what it should mean and so on. Through an understanding of Gandhi or the national movement or a certain aspect of the national movement. The whole of the national movement is not just that. So, I would go for a consideration, I would rather suggest the dyad Lokavidya and Swaraj. Uh rather than science and democracy in however pure a form that one may be able to imagine. The moment you use the terms Lokavidya and Swaraj, different dimensions of thought are released. Different ways of thinking, different methods of legitimization, different command systems, different uh, procedures of validation. Everything suddenly changes. The world of thought changes, the world of practice changes. And therefore, possibilities of a new access. And ecology, I think, with all that Ashish is saying, we are not students of ecology. And therefore, some things are new, what he is saying. New in the sense of, we have not seen it from that angle. These are common sense things, but said in a way such that it should become convincing. Uh, So ecology becomes then the axis for exploding the... Evil axis between science and knowledge today. Science and uh, science and uh, power today. Power. Yeah. <laughs> so ecology provides the handle. Yeah. But perhaps not. Why use? Why I would. I would ask mm. this to uh, Ashish. So Ashish is it, why is, it, is radical it? democracy? Mm. Why not
1: that's, Swaraj? That's absolutely. It's a very very good question. Um, I think living in a multicultural world. I would totally go with what you're saying. So yeah. in in the Indian or maybe the South Asian context, I think Swaraj Lok yeah. Uh, some people are saying Harit Swaraj, Eco Swaraj, whatever. I mean, sure. But sure, essentially, sure. those terms. Sure. Absolutely, I go with that. And in fact, one of the very interesting exercises we're trying to do is to actually link up with other such movements around the world, saying, "What are your terms?" Yeah. So, for instance, from South America, Buen Viver, Sumak say These are the ones coming up from the indigenous peoples about good living in a very different way from what the corporate says. So what living. are you linking?
0: You, no, you mentioned a point of multiculturalism. What's that?
1: No. So it's exactly this: to yeah. actually start understanding the worldviews of different peoples around the world. Yeah. Uh, both the indigenous traditional worldviews, which in many cases still exist, but also some of the countercultures in modernity that are coming up. So, for instance, in Europe, there is the whole degrowth movement, Yes. which is saying we have grown way too much. We're too much materialist. We need to scale <laughs> down significantly if we Correct. want to live with the rest of nature. And if we want to be responsible, earth citizens, because we are encroaching on the rest of the world. Right. So they right. recognize that they talk about right. degrowth. Right. Others talk about solidarity uh, societies. and So there are different terms. But the crucial thing, therefore, is one doesn't try and look for a universal term yeah. which everybody has to follow. Yeah. One uses <laughs> the ones that are in one's own idiom. And I totally go with what Sunilji is saying that Swaraj, for instance, I think is a very powerful yeah. concept in this. Yeah. The only reason, Sunilji we use something like, let's say, radical ecological democracy is to Try and make it understandable, yeah. but by but with a very clear definition of democracy, which is different from the mainstream definition, where you go back to the roots of the word democracy. This is actually ruled by the people, or yeah. power by the pe- power uh, to the people. So if one takes it like that, then therefore to be able to use ra- direct uh, radical democracy is the way you use it. But, but I, I see, go by the yeah. cautions by that. Ashish, uh, if I may that. ask
0: you, and you know we obviously there's an anthropocentric side to a lot of this whose crisis is it even if it's a crisis is it the crisis of nature or the crisis of man um, yeah it's you know well, what i mean I if you
1: if you look in the long run you can say that the planet will outlive us anyway <laughs> okay so we can always sit back and 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 i'm not saying this cynically i'm saying it's sure I mean, there are people sure. who take that saying Anyway, another billion years or half a billion years or a few million years, humanity will go, the planet will reconstruct itself, and, and you know, but, whatever. But, but does
0: nature have a way of striking back?
1: Nature is striking back, right? And it's constantly climate change is a way of nature striking back, right? If you think of Earth as a living being, Gaia, Gaia, as was said, yeah. <laughs> then it is striking back, absolutely. But you don't even have to think about climate change, it strikes us back right now, right? And right. this is the crucial reason also for uh, for a localized. Policy and society being so crucial, because when you yeah. have localization, the feedback mechanisms are almost immediate and you correct. can make corrections. Correct. When you have globalized economies, my activity is impacting you 3000 miles away and there's virtually no feedback on me.
0: And, then, I mean, there's a reason and so why, why should I even
1: correct? correct. Right? <laughs> so, 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 uh, so nature is hitting back, but it's yeah. hitting back in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it hit backs on the person who is the perpetrator. Very often, unfortunately, in today's globalized world, it's hitting it's back on those who are already victims. <laughs> You're already economic victims, then you also become victims of natural, so-called natural disasters. So,
3: right. No, right. No, no, Go ahead, no, 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 Sashidh. I feel I need to um, alert ourselves to something here. Please. Uh, and this has to do with, you know, if there is a spin that somebody could be lending to some of the perspectives that is being articulated here, is uh-huh. as that it is speaking about India something indigenous yeah. something indigenizing or right. indigeneity is being propounded as some kind of an alternative yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. value or yeah. something of that kind and i i and i think somewhere along the way i think some of the uh, I, I mean if if we reduce uh, these alternative to more indigenized modes or indigeneity then perhaps one is not alerting ourselves to some of the ra- some of the radical thrust of what is being gestured in those uh, vocabularies of Swaraj and Lokavidya. Sure. Right. Sure. And sure. I, so, because somewhere along the way, one impulse is to receive that vocabulary uh-huh. uh, 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 uh-huh. within the uh, frame of indigeneity or uh, relativism, uh, yeah. uh, and so on. And I yeah. think I think uh, uh, I think we should ward off that that kind of a Interpretive spin that uh, that could be lent. I think what is being articulated here are more endogenous perspectives. I mean I think right. there is a, there, right. is a dis, there is a difference between indigenous arti- and endogenous. And, and endogenous. So of one course. is a, trying to articulate positions uh, which uh, you know uh, that's uh, very which engage yeah. with the question of endogeneity, yeah. uh, as it were. And yeah. I think uh, there is a a, a a whole matrix of interesting issues that has to be uh, uh, addressed. So uh, so that's why I think that's very uh, I think i think if lokavidya or swaraj articulate themselves as possibilities or you serve it up with some other vocabulary sure. Sure. Uh, which uh, uh, ashish, which ashish was also gesturing towards uh, it but it's n- it's not necessarily being framed within the framework of indigeneity right yeah. although it could be recuperable in those terms and yeah. i think we need to consciously ward off that kind of a recuperation and then argue that one is talking about you know uh, as i uh, formulated just now endogenous models right um, uh, etc i mean uh, one can articulate this even uh, somebody could also speak about alternative universalisms or etc uh, 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 but i think one at at the level of thought itself what underwrites some of these I- imperatives i think are uh, articulations at the level of more endogenous uh, descriptions uh, which I think we need to be having and I think I think that's why I said the challenge of thematizing these many uh, 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 articulations right. at the level of politics, culture, knowledge, economics etc which thematize uh, strange ways in which symbiosis is actually happening but we need to raise it to, uh, to a certain level of, of interpretive uh, uh, exegesis and so on
0: interesting so in a sense ecology is the place where the crisis is located um in this axis and if we if we um think of this like let's say 50 100 200 years out ashish Sunil, terms it's a question addressed to all of you um have there been attempts of this nature in the past have have I mean, is this is this literally the first crisis that we are facing for uh, which is and it's not analogous to anything else that we may have seen locally or globally, at another point in time in the past.
1: I mean, uh, I think it's yes and no. Uh, some of these are crises that have happened in the past. Civilizations have been wiped out uh, and they, they as a result back. of ecological yeah. mismanagement, etc. So that's well known. But the globe as a whole being threatened is probably the first time. Okay. And in a way, to me, it's actually also an interesting thing that the global crisis is also has also become a an incredible global opportunity, right, for humanity to see itself as one, Yeah. amongst itself, but also one with the rest of nature. It's probably the, for first the first time, first, that yeah, that so, all of us are aware of each other. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and yep. we know that what I'm doing is impacting somebody's yep. who I don't even know very yep. far away. Yeah. And so therefore, there's one one earth one one globe and uh this i think it's a it's an incredible uh emotional intellectual mental shift that is happening yeah in yeah. terms of that perspective of seeing ourselves maybe it kind of to some extent happened when we first saw the image of the earth that was taken by uh, Neil Armstrong or whoever when, right. when they went to the moon. But that was just a visual just thing. It kind of lasted for dot. a few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But now I think it's much more apparent. And it's also very apparent because uh, even the what were previously uh, balloon sort of uh, bubbled off uh, sections of the world, industrialized nations are feeling it. I mean, you see the disasters that are hitting the US all the time. So that even the um, American population, which otherwise is so completely alienated from the rest of the world, is now realizing that there is something seriously there is such a thing wrong, as which to is a global. This. I mean, yeah. And, and so, what
0: is this link between ethology and ecology? I mean, does it just have to do with the fact that we don't know the, uh, is it just a question of everyone being made aware and, and things kind of fall in place and the solutions are, uh, For I mean, you, you were making a point, I'll let you finish that and make like a point of question next there
1: no so i was saying that i think this this opportunity of actually see i mean so what is unique about the current situation which was your question yeah is that i think for the first time in human history it's a it is it is a collective manifestly a global crisis yeah it's not localized it's not just one region of the world yeah secondly it's a crisis that's affecting life on earth yeah it's not affecting a few life forms or only whatever so it's the life as a whole is yeah. affected. Yeah. And I think that's what's unique and that's also what's providing us an opportunity. So I was just finishing with that. Sure. Excellent. Sorry, your point about ethology and ecology. Uh, 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 I don't know how you're using the word eco- ethology, but ethology essentially is the science of uh, animal behavior. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're saying that, is is there a link between is, our ecological crisis our behavior- and behavior? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the the fact that the last 200 years have offered us the ability to behave Com- totally irresponsibly with regard to <laughs> right. the rest of nature and with regard to fellow human beings right. right it's given us the technological means to do it it's given us the mental means the cognitive means to actually switch off from everything else yeah and be with our own, with ourselves and our uh, computer screens or whatever uh, I think that behavior is seriously pathological. <laughs> and if we don't realize that it's seriously pathological by looking at the signs of what the disasters are which is what this behavior has caused then we're in really 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 serious trouble my hope and I think it's not a forlorn hope I think it's a very realistic hope is that people are seeing that this is pathological behavior yeah there is a deep pathological crisis which is linked to the ecological crisis right and this ability to see it will is what will
3: help us to get out of it right 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 Shashir. No 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 actually uh, uh, I think there is increasing recognition coming also in in in, in theoretical circles right uh-huh. and uh, to to see this fusion between ethology and ecology yeah uh, i mean you, you look at some of the interesting work that is taking place in science studies for instance uh-huh. uh, you, uh, uh, there is this uh, uh, recognition uh, that that life Uh, forms Uh encapsulates uh, both animate and inanimate things. So somewhere along the way, uh, there is an important need for our descriptions to encapsulate how both animate and inanimate uh, forms of life begin to inform each other. Right, right, uh, right. and, and, so and when so you say inanimate, you mean just it, it could be objects. And, uh, I mean, sure, people, uh, sure, uh, sure. Because I think even the setting, for instance, is is a certain and uh, a, certain a certain environment. certain kind of to it. Uh, 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 environment within which uh, both animate and inanimate things are coexisting with yeah. each other, and 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 I think there is some kind of a uh, 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 kind of a uh, logic. Uh, that is operating uh, which makes for a matrix of 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 even a certain conversation like this possible right. uh, <laughs> etc so so i think uh, uh, i mean uh, this 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 fusion of ethology and ecology uh, uh, encapsulates uh, uh, this idea of life and life itself as being defined both in both uh, organic, inorganic terms, uh, and both animate and inanimate uh, things, as it were, I think uh, uh, in in social theory uh, I- itself there are uh, tendencies towards uh, that to recognize in ways in which the world of science is also beginning to be described, uh, and, and and so on. And uh, uh, that's very I mean, that's why that's why this construct that one spoke about passingly early about an ecology of practices. Ecology as it were, of practices Of practices, as it were, uh, is something which uh, would encapsulate many of these forms. Uh, But how do we raise some of these recognitions that are happening in small uh, kind of theoretical, uh, in certain kinds of interventions in theoretical spaces, to raise it out to a certain body of concepts, uh, a certain universal language, which say social science. Could take forward. Uh, That's uh, very you know, uh, Is is a, is is really a bigger challenge? That's uh, very interesting. So,
0: so then, how I mean, maybe closing remarks from you. How do you think of ecology, um, from from the vantage point that you're on, and uh, well, how how, how worried or unworried are you? Is it is it an ecological crisis the way you see it? Well, I'm <laughs> as
2: worried as anybody else, uh, <laughs> and as aware as anybody else. Uh, and that there is awareness i would entirely agree with uh, others here yeah. that there is awareness uh, of this crisis the language of expression of different people may be different of yeah. this awareness yeah. uh, but there is awareness across yeah. across uh, the spectrum in society from an ordinary woman a peasant to a to a philosopher and a scientist uh, yeah. they are all aware of this crisis, and this crisis is crying for a solution, is asking for a solution. Uh, but awareness is not enough yeah. to be able to solve the crisis or to provide a solution or to have a solution. That's probably the, the, the first power step. question, as you have yourself formulated, the power question has to be squarely addressed. Correct. And this is like power, as understood as he said. Uh, This is essentially power over others, the way it has been um, uh, understood. So the question of, it's not enough to be aware. The question of how to do it and to be able to do it, it's also not enough to know how to do it. You should be able to do it. Therefore, the knowledge trajectory which enables you to understand how to do it and the power trajectory, which enables you to actually do it, actualize them. both of them, will have Terrific. to be put in together in harmony with each other. Terrific, and Terrific. the and the and the science and political power axis that exists today, yeah, is is what is creating this crisis. <laughs> and to uh, and to search there for possibilities of solutions for solving the crisis is paradoxical it's like no it's like uh, <laughs> it's like searching you know this is a very common story about searching for the ring which was lost in the uh, in the fields a farmer lost his ring in the field
0: uh-huh. yeah.
2: later he realized that he had lost his uh, <laughs> ring and he he was uh, searching for it in the house uh, uh-huh. with a torch or with a light so uh-huh. somebody asked him where had you lost it uh-huh. he said uh, in the field. Uh-huh. Why are you searching for it here? Uh-huh. He said, because it's too risky to go to the field in the night. <laughs> 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 it's, it's practically the case.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's a good point. note to end this on. Thank you so much to all of you for making it. We look forward to having you soon again. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much.